this here is that going to be in your way? Oh, no, it's fine. So, um, tonight's topic is family, right? Family and ministry? Balance, yeah. Family and ministry balance? It's no way is it ever going to balance. That's the fact. <laughs> family and ministry, it never balances. But, um, can try to make it balance. The, uh, I was going to have you turn to a couple passages. This one uh, is in Genesis chapter 35, uh, beginning in verse 21. I know I've been speaking a lot on the, of, from the Old Testament. Um, I bought a book I haven't re- started reading yet. I'm teaching homiletics in, at Maryland Bible College and Seminary right now, and um, so I've been expanding my homiletics preaching library. I just bought a book by Graham Goldsworthy. Have you ever heard of him? He's an Australian um, theologian, but also a practical you know, writer on practical teaching of the Bible. And uh, he wrote a book called Preaching Jesus uh, from in the Old Testament. And um, I'm looking forward to, to reading it. But uh, Graham Goldsworthy is his name. Very, uh, very uh, highly rated, I guess, kind of guy. Um, Goldsworthy. Yeah, Graham. He's got a lot of books. He wrote some theology books as well. And... Um, He's liked by a lot of people. It's a funny way to start the verse, the, the thing, but uh, here we go. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder, Israel being Jacob. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben lay with, his, with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless now these words that we'll speak tonight. And I pray that you would open up the scriptures and open up the ideas that come from you and speak to our hearts, Lord, that only only way that you can, Lord. And I pray that these words tonight would be your words and that you would minister through the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it's quite interesting when we talk about family because in many Christian circles, and it's important, family is important. And but and and there is focus on the family, right? Which my wife loves. And Dr. James Dobson wrote, uh, started when he left Focus on the Family. He started another radio program. I forget. Oh, thanks, Pastor Chris. I forget what it's called, but she listens to that, and I catch it sometimes as well on another radio st- Christian radio station in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But um, <laughs> it's interesting what the Bible says about family versus what. Family, focus on the family says, not that focus on the family is wrong, you know, about how we want to minister to our family and all that kind of stuff, but there does tend to be some, I tend, I think so, a little bit in Christian circles, maybe a little bit of worship of our families. Do you, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Jesus said, actually, anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and everyone who loves their daughter or son more than me is not worthy of me in Matthew ten thirty seven, And so there is a balance. I mean, obviously we do not want to neglect our families. Obviously we want to be good parents and obviously we want to teach our children. That's what the Bible teaches us to do. It is what we want to do. We want to pray with them. We want to spend time with them and we want to be with them. But some of the families that we see in the Bible actually that God used are not families that we would call 
Well, we would call them dysfunctional, wouldn't we? I mean, the first family was dysfunctional, Adam and Eve, right? And the first son, Cain, was a murderer, okay? Murdered the second son, Esau, who was the righteous one. And so, talk about a dysfunctional family. It happened pretty quickly, didn't it? So, family is amazing, and family is um, definitely wonderful. But it is also not to be worshipped and not to be put above God in that sense. And not that we do that necessarily, not that even generally in Christianity we do that. By the same token, we do make a lot of choices based on our families uh, versus based on the cross of Jesus Christ, if you know what I mean. Um, I mean... It's true, right? We, you know, when people pick out churches, oftentimes they pick out churches because of the programs that they have for their children, and I think that's totally normal in in a lot of ways. I mean, it's kind of natural, really. Um, is that how we pick out churches, though? Is I don't know. I mean, I guess it is in a lot of cases, and I'm not downing it necessarily, but maybe sometimes I am. Depends on the person. It depends on the calling, and it depends on the motivation. Uh, is family, is church to, is the church to raise our children? Is the church to take care of our children? Is a church the place where we can just take and get rid of our kids for a couple hours and have some peace for free? <laughs> that's, that's a, you know, without paying child care? That's, that's not a bad idea. I mean, sneak, you know, drop your kids off at nursery, sneak out the back, go to the movies, come back when church is over. There, we're staying for both services today, you know? And so, uh, yeah. I wonder how much that happens. <laughs> Sit and have, you know, have a date with your husband in church. I mean, that's not a bad idea either. So, But it's so interesting. Why did I start with Reuben? Reuben is the firstborn of Jacob, Israel. And, um, <laughs> you know, these boys, this family was such an interesting family. This was God's family. I mean, this was the family. All right, we have Abraham. We have Isaac. Then we have Jacob and Esau. Jacob, who was later named Israel, would be the one uh, through whom the Messiah would come, his family. And then ultimately it would boil down to Judah. But the children of Israel themselves would be the ones who would carry the message, carry the holy scriptures and the pure idea and thought that God had from the beginning of history for mankind. And... Uh, it's such an interesting thing that they were not perfect. Isn't it something? The perfect family does not exist. The perfect family did not exist, never has existed. The only perfect family that will ultimately be will be the family of God. You know, when we are redeemed in heaven, married to Jesus Christ as his bride. I mean, that is the perfect family. But in this particular case, Reuben, who was the firstborn and would naturally be the one who would take over his father's estates, and be the next most important person after Jacob would be the most important person of the family, the family patriarch, um, he made a little bit of a faux pas, which uh, he slept with one of his father's wives, or concubines, Bilhah. Uh, he was the firstborn. And Reuben, uh, Jacob heard about it. That's all it really says about it. But I think it kind of maybe left a bad taste in his mouth about his son. And we find that out later on in Genesis chapter 49 when um, Jacob is giving the blessing before he dies. And so what we see about this family is that they were incredibly dysfunctional. Later on what we see 
after it gives the account of the 12 sons and then the family of Esau, in Genesis 37, it speaks about Joseph. Now, Joseph is actually the favored son. He's the, um, I think he is actually the 12th child, but the 11th son. And he is the son, the first son of Rachel, uh, Jacob's favorite and only really desired wife. Uh, And she is, you know, she dies after Benjamin is is born. And Jacob is uh, is favoring uh, the 17-year-old son, um, Joseph. And everybody knows it, which is an interesting thing. Do you favor your, do you have any children that you favor? Daphne, you favor your daughter. She's the only one one you got, right? I have five, you know. How about, how many do you have, Nicole? Three. Three? Do you have a favorite? Come on now. Depends on the day, right? Yeah. (laughs) Depends on the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Today you're my favorite. I always tell my daughters, yeah, yeah, Hannah, you're my favorite daughter named Hannah. It's it's as far as I go with that. I only have one son. He's my favorite son. And so... That's how it goes, though. And, um, but oftentimes, as parents, we do make mistakes. This particular mistake was very interesting because cause the other brothers were so evil. I mean, he had ten older brothers. And, of course, we know the account of him speaking about his dreams and how jealous they were of him and then how they came up with this idea, Judah, came up with this idea that let's just get rid of this guy. He's a pain in the neck. You know, we'll get rid of him and we'll sell him to the, uh, who was it? The Canaanites, but they were um, specifically uh, one group, the Midianites. And so the Midianites were on their way down to Egypt. Well, let's give him another slave to sell to the Egyptians. And it turned out to be him. And of course, Reuben, of all people, tries to save him from his brothers, but he fails even at that. He comes back and uh, he's already sold. I think Reuben tried to save him to try to make... My thought on that is that he was trying to curry favor once again with his father after, you know, sleeping with his father's other wife, you know, one of his many wives. I mean, just the fact that Jacob had four wives, that's a problem, right, for family? I mean, family, it is not the American family that we would think of, right? At least not the idyllic 1950s family that they talk about on these great television shows, 50s and so, you know, leave it to Beaver or any of these different things. I mean, this is not what we would consider a great Christian family. Nonetheless, this was the family that God had to reveal the scriptures and the Messiah to the whole world. Go figure. God is not, I mean, God is perfect, but his perfect will is not revealed through perfect families. So your family might not be perfect, you know. You might wonder, well, how do I balance ministry? How do I balance ministry? And, and, and I fail all the time. I have five children. Uh, but, and I can say that when I was home more, I don't know that my family life was any better. Uh, maybe it was even worse. One thing that I was able to do with my family was to incorporate them into our church plants in 19... I'm sorry, 2006, because my daughter Hannah happened to be, at the time, a student in graphic design at American University, which happened to be in northwest Washington, D.C., which is right next to Silver Spring, pretty close, and got her involved uh, as a student. She was still following the Lord, but not 
heavily. She had some issues with church, with our church. You know, how I don't want to go to your church. There's other churches, you know, out there and all that kind of stuff. And it's pretty interesting to see how, nonetheless, she was uh, even came soul winning because she had to do some type of community project, you know. And so she filled that in as, you know, checking the box at school. And so the interesting thing, though, is that in all my eldest child's rebellion, she was born on the mission field. She was born in Europe when we were missionaries for four years in France. And she was the, the, the missionary kid, right? And then the pastor's kid. And she really, of all my kids, she fit into that negative stereotype the best. And I'll make sure that she never hears this tape, as a matter of fact. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, though, you know, it was God that worked in her life, Right. It was God, whereas for many times, I'm a real hands-on dad. Uh, my wife is a real hands-on mom. Uh, that doesn't mean that our kids were not rebellious. You know, my wife tends to be great with the kids until they turn to that age where they really, like, can talk back, you know, <laughs> with some reason, you know. And then it's then it's battle then it's war you know all the time so i am the peacemaker and i'm the nice guy at that point you know what i mean and it's kind of interesting how that works because you know we don't want to let our kids do anything and everything our children like i had said earlier somewhere in the rap we never were allowed they were never allowed to have televisions or anything like that yet their friends did in their rooms uh you know there was a lot of things a lot of restrictions i remember great family story when uh, back in the days of renting VHS's, you know, going to what was it called? Blockbuster video? They were too expensive. We went to 7-Eleven and got the, you know, $2 ones or whatever. We rented the Mighty Ducks. How many remember, you know, the, the Mighty Ducks, right? Disney. The D word comes out, you know. <laughs> My wife just sat right, right back in her chair, you know, when that, when that happened. All the kids are gathered around. They want to see the Mighty Ducks. You know, it's Emilio Estevez and his little band of skaters, you know. And then a couple minutes later, one of the little kids in the movie, the D word, damn. You know, and I'm oh, you know, it was like, and then it happened a third time. And then it was like, oh, the movie's up, you know, right out of there, rewind, put it back in the box. Sleeping Beauty, you know what I mean? It was, that's it. But that's it, you know, I mean, I think that's okay. There was definitely a standard there, you know. But one of the things that really helped us as a family, um, I think, was the church plants. Uh, it really drew my kids in um, because I got them involved. Again, there was no, I'm not going to church today. You know, there was no, hmm, I don't think so, Dad. <laughs> and they knew it. <laughs> okay. There was no battle there because they knew it. You know, there was, that's not going to happen. You know, so... Everybody goes to church. Everybody drove one hour and 15 minutes to go to church one way because our church plant happened to be 65 miles from my house. And that's where my wife comes. She ain't moving. You know, that was just, that wasn't going to happen. You can plant a church, but I'm not moving. That's the deal. And so this is what we do. We still do it, uh, you know, 11 years later. But at the same time, the blessing is that they got involved in singing and you know Emma at eight years old sit standing up in front of uh you know 65 people singing you know songs leading in worship uh my son Kim playing the drums uh 
my daughter Hannah doing all the graphic design, creating our logo, creating all of our stuff, which she still does. Uh, my daughter Jessica helping in Sunday school, my daughter Abigail helping in Sunday school, going on family days where we go out and hand out tracts and sing in the streets and have prayer nights and do all kinds of stuff. And, and then they've all been able to have their moments where they doubt and their moments where they think about worldliness, their moments where they think that what is wrong with homosexuality and different things like that, yet coming back to the truth of the word of God. So it doesn't always work that way. It has been a great blessing for me, you know, that we have, and I feel like we, the reason, I feel in our case, the reason why it happened that way is because we didn't try too hard. You know, we were not overly legalistic with our kids. You know, I had the story about the, the Mighty Ducks, but, you know, I let them get away with anything, you know, so there were the two sides, not anything, you know, but uh, there was that balance. Uh, all I can think of is what's so amazing is nobody sold my daughter Jessica into slavery, you know, nobody sold anybody, nobody killed anybody, you know, and it's an amazing blessing because I have seen quite the opposite many times. You know, I've seen pastor's kids really go off the rails, haven't you? Have, you know, and, and our kids and, and uh, Christian leaders' kids, and, and they freak out. And they, but, you know, I've also seen many of them, including my daughter, go off the rails a little bit, but then come back, you know, to the Lord because we raised them up in the Lord. And that is a promise in Proverbs, you know, raise up your child in the way you should go and they will come back to you, you know, and they do come back. And the faithfulness of the parents and the example of the parents is also paramount. Now, we don't know what goes on in everybody's homes. We don't know, you know, and that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, our homes are private. Our homes are places where we develop our family. You know, we don't want any secret recordings <laughs> like they had uh, with the Steelers, you know, where uh, Antonio Brown is recording the coach of the Steelers saying bad things about the Patriots. That is not good. No, no, no Facebook Live in our family, you know when we're having family arguments or discussions or whatever the case may be. <laughs> have we been perfect prayer warriors? No. Have we always had devotionals every morning? No. You know, not always. You know, actually, more not than so. Because as they get older, too, you're running and, and all this kind of stuff. But, but we're praying for the kids and, and, and really making sure that our life together um, is spiritual and fun and all that, but spiritual first. I got to say that my wife has been a true blessing. We did meet in Bible college. We were missionaries together. Um, she is a, a Christian worker. She has a bachelor's degree as well in uh, Christian education and is a very um, great mom, great nursery leader, uh, loves kids. You, you give her a kid in diapers. You give her a kid to love and she'll love them. I mean, it's unbelievable. She'll do, she loves children. And that is really God's calling in her life. It's just when they get older that she has a hard time, like I, I said earlier. But look at this family. It doesn't matter how, what your, I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. You should not necessarily judge your success as a parent by what you see right now in your children you know by what you see right now in your children we need to love our kids right we do need to teach them and train them and i am telling you 
My daughter Hannah goes to a church. She actually is the art director of Corner, at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. You can look it up. You can see all our artwork. It's a great church. Um, somewhat of a seeker church. You know, it's a, in the Andy Stanley style of churches where they're kind of putting out those life lessons that we talked about. Um, not as personal as like our flavor that we've grown up with Greater Grace. Nonetheless, a very successful church historically um, in San Francisco in the Mission District. About five services on, on Sundays. They fit 300 people. That's all they can fit in the Mission. Um, they have their own struggles. But uh, why did I talk about that? Oh, so they're in San Francisco. And me and Hannah, Hannah's like, we're talking about a friend of ours whose kids were all at those crazy marches, you know, down in D.C. about you know, for the women's thing and for the pro-abortion and pro-this and pro-that and anti-God and hateful stuff and whatever, you know, politics. But she, she was laughing. I'm like, so um, your pastor doesn't agree with any of that, right? She's like, no, nothing, none of it. We've talked about all that. He is like so against everything. She said, but I'll tell you what, half of my church flew to Washington, you know, so they could march in the things, you know. Isn't it funny? But we don't get into those kind of things. I mean, this is people and their passions right outside of the ministry they don't see where the bible fits in with these kind of things we still even though we teach our children and even though we teach them the truth ultimately they and we warn them right we warn them about what they're going to find in the world i mean there is not much more of a worldly college than american university i mean it's the heart of you know if it was the Hunger Games, you know, right? The capital, <laughs> you know, it's evil there. It is the capital, really. They, it, it's, uh, and people go there just so they can be politically active. And I mean, there were dorm, there were, in my daughter's dorm, she's so funny, uh, in her dorm, uh, there was one floor that was all lesbians, you know, in the whole floor. It was dedicated to that. And there was this one year, her third year in school, where she wasn't going to live on campus. And I said to her, why don't you reserve a room just in case? And of course, she's like me. And she said, it's not going to happen. Well, her deal where she was going to live off campus didn't work out. So she had to live on campus. There were no rooms left except <laughs> on that floor. And she had a lesbian roommate for one year. And she hated it. <laughs> Because she would bring her girlfriend in and, you know, all the craziness that goes on with that lifestyle. And so she learned a little bit right there, you know. Listen to your dad once in a while. But um, thankfully she lived off campus her senior year. But, I mean, she was in the pit, you know, and she was, it was surrounded. But it, and it did affect her. Nonetheless, over time, she uh, was able to draw on her Christian roots and her convictions and what had happened over time was the fact that she was brought to church, even when she didn't want to be there, in her black clothes and her black makeup, uh, you know, and her nose ring and all that craziness. Um, something got through that shell, you know, and those things that we wished she would learn and she wished she would not learn went into her heart and created a structure um, created a, a new man structure in her heart so that when she matured, that new man began to grow the more she was exposed to the Bible and the more that 
uh, my convictions became her convictions till one day after she got the job, uh, she left a very prosperous job with a company called Edelman Digital, which was a branch of a very large advertising firm in, uh, in the world, largest in the world. And their digital branch is in San Francisco. And she t- took a huge pay cut to work for this church. And after a couple of months, she texted me and she said, Dad, I, I, I was sitting at work today and I realized that I am you. You know, and it's kind of funny, right? It's just like funny. Like I do now exactly what you do. But what a great feeling that was, you know, to see that. And uh, it's a good testimony because really when you think about um, the bad actors, as we might call them, uh, in the Sons of Jacob, um, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it? Reuben, then, 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 then Judah. Judah, the ringleader that sells him, they all go back to their dad and they lie to him, including Reuben. Reuben, who didn't want him to go, but he was caught up in the mess, is more loyal to the nine other brothers than he was to Joseph, Benjamin, or Jacob. Lies, uh, lets that guilt settle in his heart. Um, Judah, on the other hand, goes on a little weird thing in chapter 38 where his son was evil, um, doesn't want to get his wife pregnant, and you know the story, God kills him. And then the other son is required to take that wife, Tamar, and sleep with her and become his wife and have another son. He does the same as the other, God kills him. And then he says, well, you got to wait a little bit, Tamar, my, my other son's too young. And, uh, you know, when he gets older, he'll take you as his wife, so that you're, you know, covered and you can have a son under the name of the family. Well, after a little time, you know the story, she realizes that's not going to happen. He's, he's of age, and, and she's still left out there in the, in the, in the wilderness, if you will, you know, metaphorically speaking. Um, but, and of course, she dresses herself up as a prostitute, right? She goes to the place where prostitutes go, and she sets up Judah. And then Judah, of all people, right, he goes. His wife had passed away, so he takes her, sleeps with her, you know, uh, doesn't have any money with him. She wants a lamb. He says, well, I'll send you a lamb. Well, what are you going to give me? And, of course, he gives her a few things. And uh, his staff, his signet, all kinds of stuff. And then the word comes back, Tamar is pregnant. Tamar is a problem for him, you know. She's a problem. If he can get rid of Tamar, of course, he doesn't know it's Tamar, right, that he slept with. It's some random... Um, prostitute, apparently, that nobody ever heard of, you know, because it's not like it's not like it's Baltimore, you know, where there's, you know, people everywhere. It's just like this random prostitute that nobody, they must think he's, what is he talking about? Because he sent his servant back and couldn't find anybody, nobody knew who, who he was talking about. He didn't get the clue. Tamar is pregnant. Uh-oh, that means she was whoring, as the, the King James would say. And what is the first thing he says? Well, we're going to have to burn her. And he's thinking in his mind, hallelujah. Got rid of that problem, right? Until, of course, she comes out and says, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these. And I think that was, right? You know the account. It's in 38 if you want to read it. We can read it right now. Um, let me see. This uh, should be 38. Oh, yeah, here it is. So Judah, in verse uh, 24, bring her out and let her be burned. (laughs) When she was brought out, she sent her father-in-law saying, buy 
the uh, to her father-in-law, saying, "By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. Please determine whose these are: the signet and cord and staff." So Judah acknowledged them and said, "She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Sheila, my son, and he never knew her again." But I think the beauty of this, uh, just you know, in as we speak about it, is the um, this was a great moment, believe it or not, in Judah's life, because this was the turning point in his life, where he had, you know, he came face to face with the fact that he was wicked, you know, mm-hmm. face to face with the fact that mm-hmm. he had done something to hurt someone else. Um, and that she was, in fact, correct. And I think that our children also oftentimes, hopefully always, when they do go off and then bad things happen in their lives, uh, the decisions that they make come back to haunt them. And ultimately, they get to a point where they, where it's a low point in their lives, you know. And it's hard for us because we always want to protect our children we always want to keep them from those low points. We don't want them to hurt because when they hurt, we hurt. Um, but when they get to a point where they have rejected God and rejected righteousness, there can be times where God brings them to a point of decision and a point of realization that they have fallen tremendously and to where they see, wow, I am not a good person. <laughs> you know, I am not a good person. She's better than me. And... Um, that's what happened. And it's interesting that Jesus would, Jesus is, um, we would find out later that it would be um, Judah by whom the, the line of Judah by whom the Messiah would come. And this child, Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah, would also be, uh, it would be um, funneled down through Perez and then down the line. Um, right all the way to Jesus. It's pretty amazing, really, when you think about it. God's righteousness is not our righteousness. God knows much better than we know. So Joseph becomes a slave, and then ultimately he saves, as we know, his brothers. And then finally we see, in the end, they all come to that same realization of what they had done. And um, God really blesses the nation, ultimately, in that sense, by allowing Joseph, allowing Joseph to save them. So we want to control our family totally, but there are places in our life where only God knows what he's going to do with them and how he is going to use the uh, result of their decisions um, to glorify himself and to increase the kingdom of God. And so that is what I would say. I would say that uh, I am personally very blessed by my family because um, I have an amazing son who is teaching, you know, in our Christian school. Um, Kim Jr., he's amazing, great preacher, actually, too, um, if he would only want to be a pastor. But that's me, not him. See, that's got to be his decision. Uh, he married a wonderful Christian young lady. Um, my daughter Hannah is serving God. My daughter Abigail is going to be a nurse. She is serving God in our church. My daughter uh, Jessica, who is autistic, is uh, nonetheless serving God in our church and amazing, loves the Lord. Um, And then my daughter Emma, the youngest, is in Bible college 
serving God in Baltimore, in Silver Spring, and wants to be a missionary, which has been my prayer, believe it or not. It is a funny prayer because I want my kids to prosper financially, but I would much rather that they serve the Lord, you know, and especially in their youth. And so I want to see, I made that statement years ago, that message I was telling you about, and that was the message where I was attacked because I said, I want my kids all to be missionaries. And in a sense, they all are. And I'm really happy about that. Attack me all you like, but I'm really happy about that. Because I'd rather see them serving the Lord, um, being fulfilled in their mission, and have less stuff, okay, than to be wealthy and miserable, you know what I mean, and have all kinds of problems. And so, in that sense, I don't mind problems. We all have problems. We are never not going to have problems. Life is problems, you know. As healthy as we are, as fit as we may be, as um, successful of a life as we may have had, in the end, we're going to turn it all over to the next generation, aren't we? And we're going to die miserably. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) God, I hope not. I hope not. But you know, I mean, this is part of life that is ahead of us. You know, we see our parents pass away and we see the the things that um, happen to every man. It is appointed unto man to die once. And that is physical death. And so we have to understand, too, that our children are part of, our, they can be part of our ministry. They, too, are sinners. They, too, have to face the same things that we faced in life. They, too, have to make the same decisions as we made in life. I, my parents fought me when I, when I turned to Jesus, you know. Um, so the great thing that we can take comfort in is that, is that is when our kids turn to Jesus, you know? Like, we don't have to fight them. We're not, we're not on the wrong team, you know? We want just to help them to get to know him better. So we want to be... I mean, my opinion has always been that I don't want to be an enemy to my parent, my children. I want to help them get to know the Lord. And one way... One of the things that is sure about our kids is that we can lead them to Christ. But we have to be that example of who Jesus is because when they see their parents' religion, they're either going to accept it or reject it based on who we are. Usually, oftentimes based on who we are. A lot of times they get caught up in the wrong things at school or whatever the case may be. But even when that happens, we have to be, I think, we are in the place of Christ. We are the leaders in the family. And so our representation of the Lord is so important in their decision to receive and to believe uh, Jesus. Um, they're not all going to be missionaries, I know, even my kids. They're not all going to be um, maybe doing exactly what we want them to do. But, you know, we got to be thankful that they are, they're serving God. Be thankful that they believe. But when they're younger, I would say we definitely want to um, keep them, you know, be firm as we can without breaking them. Uh, but 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 take them along with us. That's an important thing, is including them in our ministry. So that it's not just what mom and dad does, you know, like the Simpkinses, right? Uh, the Simpkinses in Baltimore, they'll do a lot of the things with uh, outreaches, with Christian farmers outreach and stuff. And they'll take the whole family. And they'll have a ball teaching their kids how to lead people to Christ, you know. And there's nothing like it. My daughter Emma had the blessing while she was in public high school with all those kids in this rough kind of situation. Nonetheless, she was able to lead her best friend to the Lord who then got baptized in another church. 
and then after high school kind of fell away from everything, but now she's kind of brought her back in, and she's in Bible college. You know, our neighbor's kid is in Bible college, doesn't even go to our church, but she's there taking two classes on Tuesday nights. Mm -hmm. So it's a blessing to see that and to see the concern that they have for others, you know. I know that our kids politically can get all involved in, you know, the latest and greatest, you know, liberal thing that's going on or whatever. Uh, you know, and they can look at things like abortion and say, what's wrong with that? They can look at things like transgenderism and all this, you know. I don't even can't keep up, can you? I can't keep up with all the changes, you know. He's a she, she's a he, he's a what, you know, what's a who. It's like, you know, who's on first? You get it, you know? It's crazy, isn't it? But this is the world that they're living in. This is the normal for them. This is what they're being taught in school. I mean, their, their teachers might be not a he or not a she, uh, it's. I mean, I'm serious. And, and there's nothing they can do about it. And there's nothing the school can do about it. Uh, are you male or female? Hmm, right in the middle there or on the one side or the other. This is reality in the United States today. This is the reality that our kids are facing. This is what they're learning in college. This is the norm for our families and so we have to be the leaders that cut through all the baloney. Um, and I know my daughter always hated it, you know, my oldest daughter, when I said to her, listen, it's one or the other. Hello, it's obvious. God did this, you know. And it's like, uh, we're all adults here. So I went to, um, I was fishing. I'm going to close in a minute. Uh, my daughter, Jessica, loves fishing. We're all camping. It was a miserable camping trip. It was at Elk Neck State Forest. And the whole week we were chased by deer flies. I didn't even know deer flies existed. Horse flies are great because, you know, they're awful. They bite hard, but they're slow. So you can whack them. I've been whack killing them since I was a kid. Oh, deer flies. They're like little house flies, but they bite you. And they surround you. They swarm you. It's like terrible. But anyway, back to the fishing. We're at the dock. And my daughter, Jessie, has got pretty good at catching blue crabs, you know, Maryland blue crabs, you know, with the chicken necks, she got down, she got a trap, she got the chicken necks, she got the whole thing going on, she got like 15 little strings with chicken necks, of course the chicken necks cost more than the crabs, you know, because the, you know, the grocers are smart, but anyway, we're catching crabs, and sure enough, I don't know how to tell the difference between a male crab and a female crab, I didn't even know there was a difference, I'm like, well, maybe they're transgender, whatever, but the, uh, the natural resources guy comes in his green truck with his uniform. Looks like Daphne used to look with her uniform, as a matter of fact. And uh, he's like, hey, how you, hey, can I see your... Sure, we're proud. He's like, oh, this is a female. At that time of year, there's certain times of year you can't catch females, of course, probably during the spawning season. And I'm like, he, he did not give me a ticket. He gave us a warning, nonetheless. And then I said to him, I said, officer, I said, can you show me... Like, how to tell? And he's like, sure, it's easy. And he, he takes the mail. And I mean, I'm not kidding. Because we're all adults. Um, it, there was this line, and it looked like, you know, can I say the P word? I mean, it just was like that. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty obvious, right? <laughs> and then he takes the female... And again, we're all adults. It was literally a V. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> there were no others. 
God only made those two. And when he t- I showed my kids that I kind of made a lesson out of them. I'm like, they're girls. And I'm like, and they're like, that actually makes sense. You know? There are no transgender crabs, it turns out. You know? There are no transgender people. We're all male. God made male and female. But that's not what they're hearing every day. I don't care if it's CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, CBS, NBC, ABC, TBS, well, not TBS, but whatever. They're all going along. When they call Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, they say she. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. And, uh, you know, regardless of all that, all I'm saying about that is that they are in a place that we did not have to. I didn't grow up in that world. You know, I think most of us here, we didn't grow up in that world, did we? Did anybody grow up in that world? It's not that we didn't know people that had, you know, maybe were homosexual or maybe were lesbian or whatever the case may be. And and we have had people in church and we love them. We are not against them. We are for them. We want to help them. We want to be their friends. We want to we want to show Christ. It's just like it's no different than witnessing to a um uh, a Jehovah's Witness. You don't just go out there and attack their Jehovah Witness thing, right? You don't. And you just don't go out and attack people's um, concept of sexuality. You love them, right? You love them. And through love, they are drawn. There comes to a point, naturally, that they will have to understand what the gospel is. But you don't have to just give them the sword, Right? And in the same way with our kids, we can be gentle with them. We can help them understand. And I pray for, our, for this next generation that's coming up. Um, because I can't imagine more confusion. But the confusion begins very early. Very early. So the kids that we're running into on the streets, when we talk to them, um, and you say you're a Christian, or you say you're evangelical, right? Or you're Baptist, or you're... Christian or whatever, they immediately now, because they hear the news and they play the news, actually in my daughter's high school, in the, every morning there was a CNN thing or an MSNBC thing or whatever. And so they're hearing all these topics. And so even when you talk to the young people, oftentimes when they hear you say you're a Christian, they say, oh, you're a racist. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, you're a racist. Because you believe this, and you believe that, and they automatically assume. I saw this decades ago, but only in places like Northampton, Massachusetts, where you had Smith College, which is a, uh, and then you had all the the kind of the heights of this kind of thinking. Oh, you are patriarchal. I didn't even know what that meant, patriarchal. But this has flourished in our society, in our children, pastors' kids, missionary kids, your kids, your grandchildren. You know, they are ones who are unfortunately feeling the effects of it and it is estranging them, if you will, from the truth of the gospel and oftentimes estranging them from their parents who are believers in Christ. And so sometimes it takes more than church. You know, it takes our, it always does actually, it takes our example. One thing that never changes is the truth. The truth that Jesus is the only way. The truth that Jesus loves us and that God so loved the world that he gave. 
And so if Jesus is a lover of our souls and we are a lover of our children and our grandchildren, if we are a lover of our society and a lover of the people around us, if we are lovers of the Great Commission and we want to reveal Jesus Christ to this uh, generation, then we have to figure out ways where we can get in the back door, the side door, the basement window, however we can get in, you know, some way that we can get in um, without, you know, offending people before we even have a chance to present the gospel. And that includes our own children. And so I got kind of got off there. on. I don't mean to offend anybody, and I hope I didn't with those words about the way our society is right now. I feel no anger towards people in that sense, and nor judgmentalism. What I feel, unfortunately, like is that our world is becoming like the Roman Empire, you know, where anything goes, you know, where anybody's right. Jacob's family, before they got to Israel, do you know that Jacob, when, he, when him and his family and his kids were in um, Mesopotamia still, when he had left and he had found his brother, uh, his cousin Laban, and Rachel's and Rebecca's father, they were all idol worshipers. And prior to what I just read there, when they got, and I think it's in uh, 35 of Genesis 35, when they came back to Canaan, Jacob said, put away your idols. There's only one God, <laughs> you know. And so even his family worshipped his wife. His wife, Rebecca, uh, Rachel, who he loved, worshipped idols. She stole, remember, she stole her father's household idols, and he wasn't happy about it. And so, but when they got home, they worshiped the Lord. And so, you might say that your children are worshiping idols, they're worshiping rock stars, they're worshiping lifestyles and stuff like that. Someday we pray that they will put away those idols, right? And they will worship the one God when they come home to the Lord. And so, we will pray that as well. So, Father, bless, we pray, our question and answer time. And um, we do pray for our children, for our grandchildren. (sighs) Lord, we pray for ourselves that you would keep us pure. Keep us from judging. Um, Not that we can't judge righteous judgment, but help us not to be self-righteous judges, Lord. Because we too, we're sinners. And sin is sin. And what keeps you from Christ keeps you from Christ. We are just fortunate enough to have seen the light. Fortunate enough to have been led to Christ fortunate enough to have received him as our savior and begun to grow in the faith lord don't let us now become at all like the pharisees of jesus's time but let us instead be like christ let us instead be like the apostle paul let us instead be like the many historical christians that have looked beyond racial divides that have looked beyond sexual stuff like we're seeing today and saw to the heart and to the need of our generation and of our children and of our grandchildren and of our cousins, our nieces, our nephews, whatever the case may be. We pray, Lord God, that we can be people who are um, lights on a hill, people who can, instead of worrying about the, all the arguments that the world, because wouldn't the devil love us just to be caught up in these arguments? Let us instead just show Jesus. The Bible says, if Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will, crawl, call, I will draw all men unto me. So we pray that in our hearts and in our lives and in our 
evangelism and in our love for others, we might lift up Christ and let people see that he, is reign, that he reigns supreme and that his love never fails. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.